Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. We talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today's title is Lessons I've Learned from Two Decades in the Same Church. Now, depending on the studies you read, pastors generally stay in the same church for around four to seven years, and lay people also tend to migrate from church to church for various reasons. But Aaron, I know this fall marks 20 years for you of vocational pastoral ministry in the same church. And so since you planted the church in 2001, you've been able to witness each step along the way and have learned some valuable lessons that I know you might have missed if you had been in, let's say, four churches at the same time. So I wanted to ask today for our listeners to kind of listen in on your thoughts. What are some of the most obvious downsides of moving around a lot as a pastor? Yeah, well, thanks for that, Chris. I think this is really relevant, especially with, um, you know, a lot of church migration pastors moving from church to church over the course of their uh, quote unquote careers. Uh, Christians tend to float around from church to church quite a bit. And it's it's a little bit rare for uh, folks to stay in the same pulpit or the same pew for extended periods of time. And I think when I was maybe being trained for ministry, that was almost how we were taught. So you you go into a church, you take two or three years to acclimatize, you sort of identify what needs to happen. You take the church, quote unquote, to a certain level. And when you can't take it any further, you move on to the next church. So I remember early on in my ministry, even here, you know, every few years you'd you'd get people calling or whatnot and asking you if you were ready for a move. But there's, I think there's some problems with this. You think of the early church. Now, I don't have a problem with the idea of an itinerant minister or evangelist or even the early apostles. Obviously, they were moving from church to church, planting, and, and then going going forward to, to another location to plant churches. That's all fine and dandy. But one of the problems is a lot of pastors just move from established church to established church to established church. And if you think about using the analogy of, let's say, a tree, when you when you plant a seed, and I, I have planted some seeds and grown some maple trees and apple trees, for example, when you plant those seeds, you don't harvest apples the first year, and you certainly don't tap a sapling for maple syrup the first year. It takes years and years and years and years and years for that seed to sprout, to grow into a mature tree that produces fruit. And in the same way, many pastors fail to really benefit from the harvest of their ministry to actually see spiritual fruit because they're not long around long enough to even see half of a generation bear the kind of fruit that long-term ministry bears. So one of the blessings of long-term ministry is being able to look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years and say, I, I remember when that that person came to faith in Jesus Christ, and now they're an elder in the church. Or I remember when that person was born, and now they're serving in our worship team, or whatever it might be. So kind of processing with people through those different phases of life, much like you'd want to see your children grow from babies to adults, it's the same kind of thing. You get to see that in the life of the church. I think also pastors that move around too much lack the trust of their congregations. 
Because at the end of the day, you're going to make some hard decisions as a pastor. And if you're calling your people to follow you or follow your lead, but you're not around to deal with the, the repercussions of that, positive or negative, people are going to be a little reluctant and gun-shy to necessarily trust you and to follow your lead. I think moving around also speaks to the the sad reality of the professionalization mm-hmm. of Christian ministry for, for clergymen, where a lot of guys see themselves as sort of a hired gun. And this also reduces trust. It reduces your ability to develop meaningful relationships, to really engage in the organic life of the church. And for the layperson that moves around from church to church to church, the problem for, for, for such a person is not the professionalization of ministry, but it's almost treating church as if it's some sort of a spectator sport where, you know, we go where the action is. We go where, uh, you know, we go to the church that happens to be the center of attention right now. Now, all that aside, um, there's so much blessings, blessing for pastors and lay people who just stick it out. Now, I'm not suggesting we should stick it out if there's false teaching in a church that can't be dealt with or the church is just dead, there's no spiritual life, there's no vitality. But most churches don't go from uh, spiritually vital to absolutely dead under one person's leadership. That takes place over a lengthy period of time. So if you're in a church that's dead, it probably has been dead for a long time, was dead long before you got there. So the question is, why just show up in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, or if there's false teaching in the church, unless the false teaching was hidden, which it usually isn't, uh, we could ask the question, why did you go there in the first place? So we can use the excuse, well, I left because there was false teaching or I left because it, it was dead. But it, but I'm not sure that's always the greatest um, excuse because we, we have a say in the life of the church and we have influence over the life of the church. And I would just say, like, for example, if false teaching snuck into this church, uh, I wouldn't be leaving. I'd be fighting it off. I'd be dealing with it. Or if I felt the church had plateaued spiritually, I'd be fighting it off. I would, I would, uh, you know, preach hard into that pastor, hard into those issues to try to bring about reform. So those are just some, you know, high level uh, observations that I've made over the years about the the downside of short term church commitment. And tied to that, then, what are some, maybe a few even personal lessons that you've learned through long term ministry? Yeah. So ministry is not all about me putting out. It's also about me receiving and me being blessed and growing as a Christian. You know, I started this church when I was um, 28. I started laying the groundwork when I was 27, but I was 28 years old. Now I'm 48 years old. And the Lord, I'm I'm the same person uh, as I was when I was 28, but I've I've grown, I've matured, I've learned a lot of things. The Lord has done a wonderful work in in my life. And there's, there's many personal lessons that I've learned. Now, some of them, they weren't like eureka moments. Uh, you know, some of these lessons, I, th- I think I already knew in, in a very basic rudimentary way before, but they've, they've gone maybe from the back of my mind to the front of my mind. And I mean, one of them, which, which is critical to any person who's going to, quote unquote, last in ministry, and that is your primary motivation must be the glory of God. It must, must be the glory of God. If you're in this for self-glory, I'm, I'm going to tell you, not only is that sinful, but that will be incredibly anticlimactic. That's not a sustainable way of living. If, if you're, it's it's kind of like drugs, right? People toke or inject or snort in order to get a high, but it doesn't last because it's not 
designed to last. It's not, it's not capable of giving you long-term satisfaction. And many people, unfortunately, come into ministry because, well, they don't like working in a factory or they want a little more attention and they perceive, well, if I'm a pastor, I'm going to get more attention or, you know, it gives me more opportunity just to, to spend time with God, which, by the way, is, is often the opposite because ministry can be incredibly overwhelming and distract you from your walk with the Lord. But that's, a you know, another conversation to be had. The point I, I really want to emphasize, the nail I want to drive home is be brutal with self-assessment, are you serving the Lord for what it does for you, for how it blesses you, or is it ultimately for the glory of God? So that vertical-minded focus is incredibly important. Secondly, integrity is is critical. You know, we're all interested in becoming better preachers, better communicators, better administrators, better counselors, better at the, the how-to of ministry. But Making sure that you're a man of integrity is what is going to sustain you long-term. That's something that's going to take you much further than your skills or your charisma or your personality alone. So do not allow, uh, we're all going to sin, but do not allow unconfessed sin to remain in your life. Do not allow it. Whether it's attitudinal sins or active sins or verbal sins, whatever it might be, do not allow unconfessed sin in your life. Walk humbly before the Lord and he will lift you up. The third thing is careerism. If you see ministry as a career, you will be disappointed and you will disappoint people. Now, from the eyes of the world, they would say, well, Aaron Rock is a quote unquote professional pastor. That's his vocation. That's his career. And it's true. I mean, I, I do invest my my week, month after month, year after year in ministry, I did a lot of training for it. I um, you know have some degrees and professional certifications and whatnot. I understand all of that, and I don't want in any way, shape, or for, shape uh, or form downplay that because I actually value all of that. I think it's been really helpful for me to get a lot of heavy training in that. But I don't see this as a career, and. Um, in other words, I don't do it in order to be paid or I don't do it in pursuit of a paycheck. I I do it and then the church comes along behind me and supports me financially and grants me the privilege of being able to serve in this way. And what that has enabled me to do, and this is a critical lesson, is I'm, I'm very comfortable with um, – making hard decisions. I'm very comfortable with standing for what I believe is right, and I'm not easily manipulated. Because I I don't spend my time thinking, oh, what's the board gonna think about that? What are the people gonna think about that? What are, you know, what what are the church associations we've been part of over the years gonna think about that? Oh, does this mean I might get fired? I don't care about that kind of stuff. This is not a career, it's a calling it has career like elements attached to it again, but um, I, I I'm driven by my principles and my beliefs, not by these pragmatic considerations. I suppose another thing, and you and I have talked about this because you're um, sort of a generation younger than me, is um, I think early on in ministry I was always wanting to be at the next level. So um, 
you know, when I'm working on my bachelor's degree, I wanted to be in my master's degree. When I'm in my master's, I wanted to be my doctorate. When I was, you know, two years in, I wanted to be five years in. When I was five years in, I wanted to be 10 years in because I, you know, I wanted to project myself uh, with maturity, but I also, I was always looking for the next, you know, hill to crest. And that's just an exhausting way to live your life. So I've learned over the years, just act your age and enjoy the moment. Enjoy where you're at right now. It's like raising your kids. You know, you got the the babies and you're like, oh, if they could only become toddlers and then they're toddlers. Oh, if we could just get them into school and then they're into school. It's like, oh, if we could just get them into high school, get them driving, get a job. All of a sudden they're gone and you miss them. So living in the moment, I'm a visionary. So I think it's important to think ahead to plan ahead, but just live in the moment, like enjoy how the Lord is using you now. So if you're in a a church plant that's a week old, folks, enjoy that. Flourish there. If you're in a church that is 100 people and you want to see it double in size, just, okay, yeah, set those goals, but just enjoy the moment. Don't always be living in the future. Enjoy the moment and let the Lord uh, allow you to bloom where you're planted. And then I would say uh, another personal lesson, Chris, is just kind of guarding your heart against disappointment. We all, um, you're really not, probably you're probably not going to go into pastoral ministry if you're not an idealist, meaning that you have certain spiritual ideals and maybe even some ungodly ideals that drive you and motivate you. Um, dis- d- disappointment can easily shatter a lot of pastors. So when people leave that you felt were good friends, um, for good reasons or bad reasons, when um, churches or ministries don't grow as fast as you think, or you're not bearing as much fruit, and it just doesn't make sense to you, like why are things not progressing a little bit quicker, you can easily take it very personally. But the problem with taking it personally is that demonstrates an inappropriate view of ownership. So we know that we're stewards, we often say in our church, um, uh, ownership is the enemy of stewardship. So what we mean by that is the Lord has called us to steward our ministry. Picture your hands cupped in a cupped posture. Your stewardship is in your hands. And the Lord has given you people and resources and opportunities. That's your stewardship. You're going to hold on to it. You're going to care for it. But you're never going to close your fingers around and, and clench your fist because then you become an owner. Then you're saying, no, this is mine. These are my people. This is my church. This is, and, and that's that's a God complex that that leads nowhere good. So don't don't take people leaving. Don't take departures. You know, personally, learn from them if people leave because you've misbehaved or you failed to meet legitimate needs. Uh, or they're just spiritually mature. Yeah, you know, you want to learn whatever lessons need to be learned out of that, but don't. Don't allow the burden of ministry to become too personal. It's just it's just overwhelming if you if you live your life that way. So those are some some personal lessons that I mean I'm sure there's many others, but those are some that that came to mind. Yeah, as I listen to those, it sounds to me like many of those reflect the fact that you are a church planter. I know there's some differences, and maybe you could just highlight you know, what you think the differences are between somebody that has had to plant a church versus somebody coming into an established church and maybe some of the challenges you faced in those differences. Cause I know, okay, I came into this church, it was established. So I benefited from the established, you know, even 
simple sure. things like a budget was established already. Yeah. Uh, there was already a core team. Yeah. Well, I mean, the basic lessons of like motivation, integrity, not viewing it as a career, those, those are um, not specific to a church plant. Those are things that all pastors should um, embrace and consider. Now, um, being in a church plant, as opposed to, let's say, a revitalization of a failing church, as opposed to denominational leadership, as opposed to serving in youth ministry as a layperson, yeah, there, there's different dynamics to those things. And for me, because I have, um, and I didn't know this when I planted the church, but because I do have some entrepreneurial gifts, I I enjoy building infrastructure and uh, building teams and de- and delegating responsibilities to to people and developing. I, I enjoyed, especially in the early days, developing the budgets and financial plans and all that sort of thing. But I've backed out of a lot of that because this is this is not a church plant and hasn't been for a long time. You know, it's twenty years old now. So there's a lot of other people that now do things I used to do. But regardless of your um, place in ministry. I think the prince, those basic principles apply to everyone. So if you are a youth leader and you're like, ah, maybe I should leave my church. Well, leave if it's heretical, leave if it doesn't acknowledge the Lordship of Christ, because you're obviously a little further down the totem pole and it's harder for you to influence the, the, the macro direction of the church. But um, make sure you're doing what you're doing for the glory of God, not just because you get a pat on the back from parents or youth. Make sure that you are the real deal that you are walking in integrity before the Lord. Again, not not perfect, nobody's perfect, but walking in integrity before the Lord. And um, make sure that you understand the difference between ownership and stewardship, and you're also living in the moment and enjoying the event now, the moment now, the service now, the counseling session now, and not just um, you know thinking about, again, the next hill to crest, the next, minute, the next sermon to write. Uh, live in the moment and enjoy what the Lord is uh, doing through you and more often than not in spite of you right now. Yeah, well said. I think it'd be helpful for our our listeners and especially those in leadership to hear from you what you've learned about people that might help them to lead and serve better. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I I love people. I, I love being around people. I'm mostly energized by people just in general. Obviously there's some people that are uh, problematic. We all have problematic relationships, but as I've worked with people for many, many years now, um, one lesson I've learned is that God can change anyone. So we've had some pretty incredible stories of redemption or renewal and restoration in our church, which um, has come about as a result of our commitment to church discipline and restoration so we, we generally don't see people change too much if we say nothing, do nothing, and just let them meander on their way. But if someone's living in sin or has you know, compromised, um, compromised themselves and we exercise proper church discipline, uh, there's always, if the person walks and never comes back, at least you know you did the right thing. But we've seen many people's lives restored through the proper exercise of church discipline. And in some pretty amazing ways, like people that you're like, yeah, humanly, this person's done. And all of a sudden, wow, they're, they're repenting and, and they, they, they stick it out and they're, they're restored to ministry and they're providing leadership in the life of the church. So that, that's been really quite encouraging for me to see. 
uh, another lesson, and I don't say this negatively, okay? So I, I, I'm not saying this in any uh, way to complain. I'm just making I'm making a, a, an observation from uh, from my experience that will probably help those of you that are looking for something that you're not getting. Okay, so here it is. Very few people ever thank you for the ministry that you do. Very, very, very few. And the reason why this is important for us to understand is because we don't serve for the applause of men. Now, um, that doesn't mean that a lot of people don't appreciate you. It's just that very few people ever tell you. And one of the reasons why very few people tell pastors, you know, hey, good job, or I appreciate it, or I benefited from that is because, because when you're a public figure, people assume everyone else is doing that. And what eventually happens is very few people actually do it. <laughs> so you you do have to be careful not to assume that you're going to get a lot of overt encouragement or affection or, or thankfulness. And, and that means um, you have to learn to self-evaluate or surround yourself with quality people and ask them questions that will give you insight into – uh, people's perception, how, how you're functioning, how effective you're being, maybe some things you can change. But also just a reminder on a heart level, we don't serve for the the applause of men. So that's that's an important lesson. A lot of guys are like, I'm, you know, I'm done. No, one, no one thanks me for it. Well, do you think they're going around thanking me every day? Well, I assume they are. No. So we, there's, you know, the spiritual gift of encouragement. It's actually a just a small slice of the pie that has that gift. So don't expect everyone there, – there's people that I've pastored for 15 and 20 years that have never never given me one word of encouragement. They've never said anything positive, but they've also never said anything negative. And I don't take that personally. It's just their personality. And realistically, if I think of my own relationship with the hundreds and hundreds of people in our church, I mean, have I gone up to them and thanked every one of them for what they've done? No. There's people that have served here for years that I've not personally thanked. It's a very large church. So this shouldn't rattle our cage too much. It's just the, the reality of our, our, our experience. Uh, one other thing I've learned, Chris, which is interesting, is um, oftentimes the people that leave your church will eventually come back. <laughs> so sometimes people leave mad or upset or... Uh, ticked off, and then three, four, five, ten years later, you see them back because they realize, hey, actually, it wasn't so bad here after all. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of a neat thing. So don't try not to burn bridges unnecessarily with people. And by the way, if you don't stick it out in a church long term, you'll never observe that mm-hmm. because most of them aren't coming back in two years. It'll be several years later. Um, another lesson I would say about people is just loving people we all express our love uh you know in in different ways um but we have to be driven by love for people if you love god you'll love people and if you love people you'll love ministry but the opposite is also true you won't love ministry if you don't love people and you won't love people if you don't love god so learning to love god when we learn to love god he'll tenderize our hearts for others and because we minister to people, it'll help us to love ministry more and more and more. So oftentimes when people bail out on ministry, it's because they don't love their people enough. And the reason why they don't love their people enough is because they don't love God enough. So we have to make sure we're motivated by by love for God and for others. And um, people, people will know that you love them when you stick with them and you're loyal to them and you 
care for them long term and you know you you exercise peace and endurance and these sorts of things so that's that's a really mm-hmm. important motivator I know around here uh, we have the five love languages, but we always say there's the sixth love language, which is also insults and teasing. So, <laughs> oh yeah, we just reserve that for well, we t- we try just to reserve that for guys, right? Because um, you know, one of the ways that guys demonstrate their love for each other is by shredding each other. <laughs> exactly. So if you've been shredded, you know you've made it to the inner circle. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, hey, how about lessons on leadership? We're on the Leadership Now podcast. This is a great time to cue uh, leadership lessons. If you yeah. were to pick maybe the top four or five leadership lessons or pieces of advice that you would give to others, what would some of those be? Well, these are no particular order, but um, one major lesson in leadership is make sure that you are organized in the way that you function as a church. Now, some people love organization, administration, databases, um, written documents, policies. I see you're smiling, Chris, yes, because I, I know you love that stuff. <laughs> I'm like, are you going to bring up the app? Oh, please bring up the app. Chris's <laughs> famous app. He loves these kinds of things, charges his battery. I, I, by nature, like that stuff too. I would say in the last seven or eight years, I've deliberately stepped away from a lot of that and pass it off to very competent people like yourself. And that's a good thing. Um, but a lot of churches fall apart for lack of organization. So you got guys who are like, I just like to preach and I just like to meet with people. I'm a people person. Oh, really? Do you have a constitution? Well, no, we're not into that. Do you have a doctrinal statement? Well, we haven't, we haven't got around to that yet. Do you have a plan for developing elders? Um, no, not really. Do you have any elders? No. Do you have a board of some sort? Well, kind of. What's their ministry description? Well, we just kind of, we just kind of meet and talk. What's your financial plan? You know, uh, and on and on and on and on and on. So um, a lot of churches are led by very well-intentioned, well-meaning people who never get their act together organizationally and administratively, and it affects ministry and and the ministry begins to spiral downward. One of the responsibilities of elders in the New Testament is administration. So we often focus on the teaching, the preaching, right? We say, oh, you're, you're a, pastor equals preacher. So you're a preacher. Well, are you an administrator? Are you, are you hospitable? These are other qualifications of eldership. So making sure that you um, are as organized as you can be and need to be not, not spending all your time on administration because administration is not the end goal. It's the framework. It's the, it's the delivery mechanism. Good, having good public communication systems, having good leadership training um, processes having good financial processes in the church, having good facility uh, conversations about facility needs. I know what it's like to rent space, not have space, um, buy old properties, renovate, lead through building campaigns. You kind of got to get to know some of this stuff, like it or lump it. You have to learn this stuff as a pastor if you're going to lead a growing church. So that's really important. But it's not the most important thing. So uh, another leadership lesson, which is which is more important in terms of it's more to the point, is developing leaders. So we're an elder-led church. And so I spend, I've spent a lot of time over the years developing leaders. And a lot of that is mental work, thinking about people, observing them, 
watching how they interact with their spouse, their children, watching how people perceive them in the life of the church, tentatively identifying potential elders, getting to know them, trying to understand their heart and testing them, putting them through apprenticeships or lower levels of leadership to see how they function. And then, uh, you know, interviewing them, quizzing them on their theology and eventually developing them into elders. I'm very, very cautious about who, um, you know, I recommend for eldership because when you're an elder led church, it's, you know, the, 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 the macro level decisions are made by the elders. So you don't want guys that are in it for the wrong reason or who are incompetent or who don't understand the word of God. Well, so, Developing leaders, uh, developing elders especially is really important, but I, I don't expect perfection out of them, just like they're not going to get that out of me. But working on eldership, the same principles apply to staffing. I had no idea how to identify church staff, how to train church staff. It was trial and error. We, we made some mistakes along the way, but we learned some important lessons about staffing. Like don't, uh, you know, for, for the most part, the best staff people come from within your church. Uh, historically, a lot of churches, quote unquote, hire from outside. That 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 doesn't work very well for long-term ministry. Um, there's a unique culture. There's a unique set of beliefs. There's, there's you know, we talk about competency, character, chemistry, capacity is sort of the four C's of leadership. And with a resume, you might be able to look at education and experience, but in, in you know, a couple weekends of interviewing someone, you might be able to get some feel for their their personality, but I, I don't even really know people until they've been serving for at least a year. I don't know how they're going to turn out. So um, it's risky bringing people in from far and away to to serve in your church. You don't really know what their mindset is. So we we find that we work really hard at training people from within our church. And if pastors are saying, well, I don't have anybody within my church, well, then start training people from within your church. Like start to have a... Um, yeah, secondary and third, fourth, fifth choices, sort of in your mind, at least people in your radar, you know, think of concentric circles, people that are leaders, people that are becoming leaders, people that might be leaders, people that have the potential to be leaders, people that aren't leaders yet. Think of, think of those circles in your church and how do you bring people through one circle to the next? You don't bring someone from, you know, a guest and a newcomer that sits in the back row right up to eldership in a month. So we have to we have to think long term, and long term ministry helps you to think long term. I'm already thinking about guys that are 18, 19, 20, 25 years old as future elders. Why would I be thinking about that now? Well, if I have a 45 year old elder now in the church, well, 20 years ago he was 25, and now he's an elder. So uh, time moves by quickly, and I want to make sure that I'm developing men and women for the various roles of ministry in the life of the church, be it staff roles or diaconal roles or eldership roles. Uh, another leadership lesson is I, okay, I'm going to say this carefully because I know we don't have endless amounts of time to explain this, but I'll, I'll try to say this carefully. I'm primarily concerned when I'm making decisions about the future of the church. I'm primarily concerned about, let's say what a 25 year old would think. And the reason for that, the reason why I pay more attention to that age group is because very quickly they're going to be 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. And the consequences that we make as elders now will affect them 
longer than they'll affect my generation. So a lot of times pastors make the mistake of surrounding themselves with their peers and they're all they're only concerned about the people that are in leadership now, the movers and shakers in the church, and they start making decisions that alienate or don't take into consideration the younger generation. So I'm I'm less likely to pay attention to what my peers think. I'm more likely to pay attention to what the younger folks think. When I when I say think, I'm not talking about determining our theology, but the overall direction of our church in terms of ministry output mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I spend a lot of my time mentoring younger men. You know that I do a discipleship group every year, and that's a highlight for me. I pick eight, 10, 12. Right now, I think I have 10 uh, guys. They're between the ages of, I think, 19 and 24. And I just work with them for a whole year, every other Sunday night, helping them to grow in wisdom and knowledge. I get to know them really well so that as the years start to roll by, I know these guys. I'm not out of touch with them. I know how they think. I know what their pluses and minuses are. And I'm way ahead of the game in terms of developing them for leadership in the years to come. Hmm. Um, maybe one final, well, a couple couple other points about leadership. Um Get all the education you can. I know there's a lot of people that are down on seminaries. There's a unfortunately there's a lot of woke seminaries out there, but um, and seminary doesn't make the man. But I I have found that guys are way more productive. The more training they have, the more productive they are. So people say, "Oh, how long does it take you to write a sermon?" Well, I don't know, forty eight years, I guess, because mm-hmm. that's how much experience I'm bringing into it. But I can write sermons and lessons very quickly now. And the reason for that is because I spent years and years and years and years and years in training. So you write the papers, you're evaluated, you're critiqued. And when you go through that year after year after year after year after year after year after year, it becomes second nature to you. You can write quicker, you can think quicker. So a lot of guys shortchange themselves in their formal education because they just want to get into ministry. And and as a general rule, I think it takes them longer to do everything they're going to do for the next 30, 40, 50 years than people who put that intense time up front into education. Um, one final thing is that a lot of times I, I hear people talking about church size and somehow equating that to vulner- to authenticity or um, um, faithfulness to Christ. So we have this very strange, completely unwarranted notion that the larger churches are more compromised churches and smaller churches are more faithful. Uh, I don't think that's true at all. I think the size of a church has nothing, literally nothing to do with its values or its faithfulness any more than you're a better family with two kids than if you have 20 kids. So what matters is the your commitment to the things of God, your commitment to scripture, your your diehard commitment to to the to the Word of God, to preaching the full the full gospel of Jesus Christ from cover to cover, all of these things, whether the Lord has given you fifty people or five thousand people, that's what will make or break your church. So, at the same time, numbers do matter because every number represents a soul, and so um, I want to reach more people. I'm not I'm not afraid to say that I want a larger church 
not because it will make me feel better. It'll probably make me feel worse. (laughs) Um, Bring me some more headaches, but I want a larger church because I want more people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to expand our ministry. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm not going to see it as super spiritual to just pastor 12 people all my life. I want to pastor as many people as I can, not for my honor and glory, but for the Lord's. And you do not have to be a sellout church to grow explosively, mm-hmm. especially in this culture and climate. Folks, if you want more people to come to your church, here's a simple suggestion. Preach the full counsel of God's word and they'll flock in because it is very rare for, it's, it's so weird to say this, but it's, we have people coming to our church who've gone to other churches for years and years and years and they come here and they hear biblical expository faithful preaching and they're like, I've never heard this before. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, we're, I feel ripped off. And that's a sad thing, but it's it speaks to the reality of culture. There's so few churches for some crazy reason that just preach the Bible. And then you got guys that start preaching the Bible because they realize it's a trend, but they're not actually committed to preaching the Bible, so they don't even last doing that. Preach the Bible because you believe the Bible. Mm-hmm. Preach the Bible because you've been you've encountered and your life's been transformed by the God of the Bible. And keep the main things the main things. And over time, the Lord will add to your numbers. You may grow super quick if you're in a large metropolis area, or you may grow really, really slow if you're in some you know rural town way up in northern Ontario. But just preach the Bible mm-hmm. and the Lord will maximize your ministry. Some good reminders there. Now, I know you've preached a lot of sermons, I think well over a thousand now, and a large part of your role as a leader does revolve around communicating and preaching and writing. Um, And so maybe for those that are specifically in the role of a communicator, you could share what are some things you've learned preaching to the same congregation for 20 years? Okay, so when I started off as a church planter, I was more like, a, I would say, a deacon elder, and that I was eldering, but a lot of the stuff I was doing was deaconing. I was just doing a lot of stuff. I was writing letters. I was following up with people. I was just doing, doing, doing because it had to be done. And we were building a leadership team. And I think that was an asset to the church at the time. But I, I've thought about this over the years. My, my primary uh, benefit to the church right now in terms of my ministry is my mind, my mouth, my pen, you know, my keyboard, mm-hmm. I I have to spend a lot of time uh, thinking about where the church is at, about uh, uh, what what are some of the challenges and deficits that we're experiencing as a church. So um, obviously you discover some of that through your prayer life, through your study of the word of God, through your conversations with other people. But I I have to deliberately pull myself away from a lot of the doing so that I have time to think and to reflect. And then out of that, what it does is my battery is charged so that I can write and preach and uh, speak more effectively. So um, I think it, when you're a younger preacher, your, your preaching and teaching tends to just be you know, you, you, you lay out a bunch of books on your, your office, you read this commentary, read this commentary, read this commentary, you write an outline, you then develop your sermon, you edit it, you know, you, you spend all this time. It's, it's almost kind of mechanical. Hmm. And as you get older as a pastor, it does become a bit more of an art. It sort of flows from you. So it's flowing less from, um, 
you know, what some commentator says about the Bible and more your study of the Bible, your reflection of the Bible, because, you know, you, you've developed your hermeneutical skills, your exegetical skills and so forth. This principle is true of for Sunday school teachers, for small group leaders, et cetera. A lot of people cripple themselves because they just, their, their entire life, they're just preaching curriculum and they're, they're basically just saying what someone else tells them to say. They've never developed the ability to actually think through the issues for themselves. So young preachers, yeah, get into the, get into the commentaries, get into the books. But if you're, if you've been doing this for 20 years and you're still just grabbing everyone else's ideas, you need to develop your mind more. You need to develop your ability to think independently and to process things. And you need to give yourself the time in any given week to do that. So you should have fewer things on your in your schedule and more time for just immersing yourself in robust biblical thought. So here's some things I've learned over the years preaching to the same congregation. So what, one is that it's not the same congregation. It's constantly mm-hmm. changing and, and evolving. We, um, you know, we're going to have our 20th birthday party here on Sunday, and there's a, a handful or so of people that have been with me since the beginning. But most people have, you know, come at different times, right? Even in the last year and a half, we've seen several hundred people pour into the church. But some things I've learned, very practical, um, when you're communicating, preaching, teaching, make sure that one of your goals is to be clear, okay? Clarity, Super important, clarity, not massive amounts of content. I'm a content guy. Sometimes I make the mistake of just unloading too much. Clarity, your goal shouldn't be to be agreed with, to just say the same thing. Some signs of that in your preaching. If, if you're evaluating your preaching and you, you lo- use a lot of cliches from other people, um, you're probably just preaching subconsciously because you want to be agreed with. So you say the same thing, you know, you, 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 you drop in the little amens, you know, where they're mm-hmm. supposed to go and you use Christianese here and there. And, and people listen to you and they're like, yeah, he's, he's right. He's right. He's right. He's right. He's right. He's right. Right. But I've just heard this all before from umpteen dozen sources. So uh, that might be a, a sign that you're just, you're trying to like role play. You're trying to play the role of the faithful Christian pastor, but you're you're not really thinking through the issues. Aim for clarity. Think through the issues, communicate them, recommunicate them until there's clarity. Another lesson I've learned is consistent, unapologetic preaching really does change lives. Mm-hmm. People don't want you to beat around the proverbial bush. People don't want you to hint and elude and, um, you know, maybe point sideways to the point you're trying to make. They want you to say it. So if there's sin in the church, they want you to say, brothers and sisters, I need to tell you something as your pastor. There's sin in this church and it needs to be dealt with. And this is the sin and this is what we need to do before the Lord to repent and to make it right. Just be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, preaching on giving. It's not like, well, you know, the Lord loves a cheerful giver and whatever you think is cheerful is what you should give. Um, You preach the Lord loves a cheerful giver and then, hey, I got to tell you guys, some of you are cheapskates. Some of you need to up your game. Some of you, frankly, are taking advantage of the generosity of other people. And you need before God to, 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 to prayerfully, but then obediently respond to what the Lord is, is teaching you to give joyfully and cheerfully to the work of the ministry. 
if someone's living in sin and you're just sort of having a cry fest talking about, you know, all their, their past and their mother and father and how they affected them negatively, you don't get to the point and say, yeah, but you are responsible for your sin and you need to repent of it. You're not doing people a favor. So as pastors, you don't want to be rude, but you want to be clear and blunt. And then you compensate for that in case people think you're arrogant or prideful by being straight up about your own problems. You don't pretend that you're some super spiritual giant of the faith. You admit when you did something stupid, which is a biblical word, by the way. <laughs> yes. um, so on, consistent, unapologetic preaching. We say in our church, creatures don't apologize to other creatures for what the creator has said. Far be it from us. If God says it, I'm not going to round the corners off. Chris, I need to tell you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And I want you to tell me the same. However, no matter how clear you are, sometimes you're going to be misunderstood. That's human nature. So don't take that too personally. I would also say that the more you can learn to think on your own, the better you're going to be. Too many guys, I find, um, you know, they're, they're middle of the way through life. And they're always, they're looking for the next conference, which is going to like fix whatever problem they have in their church. Oh, I'm going to go to this conference or... You know, they're putting out messages, hey, to all their buddies, hey, does anybody have a, a book on church administration? They're like 50 years old. And you're still reading someone else's stuff on church administration. Why? You know, you're 50 years old. You're reading someone's book on how to preach a sermon. Like, why? I don't read books on how to preach sermons. I'm 48 years old. I've preached all kinds of sermons. At, at some point, you have to move from being a student to an actual teacher, and we're always learning from other people and, you know, there's benefits to conferences, but most conferences should just sort of be affirming or maybe slightly adjusting what you already know. Think, learn to think on your own two feet. Learn, write your own sermons, write your own material, write your own lesson plans, write your own letters, sit down and do the hard work of writing your own organizational plan, your own church administration plan, your own financial plan. I know it's hard and some of it's frankly kind of boring. But it will force you to think through the issues. And when you think through the issues, you are more likely to own them. And then as you evaluate them for strengths and weaknesses down the road, you know them so well, you're like, yeah, I made a mistake in that or I should have done it differently. So I would just implore people that are serving in ministry to, to unhitch themselves from relying upon so many other people to think through the issues, to tell them what they're supposed to say and not say, and learn to think on your own two feet. Now, admittedly, some people are better at that than others, but maximize your potential in those areas. And that's a huge lesson for writing and communication um, that, that's really valuable um, that, that I've been learning and I think has certainly benefited my ministry. Fantastic. You feel like you still got another 20 years in the tank? Oh, Yeah. I mean, if the Lord, unless I, you know, die of a mysterious virus. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, actually, I got 40 years in the tank. You can't push me out. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, I don't, I don't presume upon tomorrow. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm completely fine with going home to be with Jesus now. And I'm completely fine with the Lord keeping me here for another 50 years. Like whatever he has in store, I don't spend a great deal of time thinking about that. But I don't have any plans to retire so I don't, I don't like the idea of retirement. 
Uh, it's not it's not a biblical concept, really, if you think about it. I I, I think it's cool if you get to a point where you're, you um, you know you can quote, quote unquote work and people don't have to support you financially because you know you have savings or whatever. Um, in other words, you can retire from the paycheck. Although again, that's not what motivates us, but that'd be kind of cool. As you get older, you have to be more you know aware of your your body and your health. Um, you know, I even find that with physical labor, I like to physically labor, but you know, I could drill a lot more holes and put a lot more fence posts in when I was 25 than I can now without feeling just exhausted. So you have to think about those things, but let's say if the Lord were to, let's say, give me enduring health and, um, you know, I'm able to continue to walk with the Lord and I feel I'm being useful in this role. I don't, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't die in the pulpit, so to speak. I, I don't want to just be put out to pasture. Um, but if I got to a point where, let's say, my my mind wasn't as sharp as it needed to be and I needed to pass off my role to a younger man, that, that'd be fine. I, I don't, again, I don't, I don't need to do this in order to feel good about myself. Um, so my, my goal is like long-term when I planted this church, I, I don't, I'm never going to say never, but my, my intention was, you know, to pastor this church for the rest of my life. That that's my intention. Again, if along the way, the Lord says, yeah, your time's up, that's fine. That's totally fine. But I, um, I have no desire to, um, you know, babysit someone else's children, meaning I have no desire to go pastor someone else's church. And uh, I have no desire to, um, you know, become premier, prime minister, leader of a denomination, chief of police. Although those would be kind of fun right now. We could use that. (laughs) (laughs) Those would be kind of fun things to do right now and let it what's going on in the world. But I, I, um, I don't always like, but I do love what I do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you're sort of where the Lord has placed you, it's pretty cool. And one of the benefits too, Chris, is I'm noticing as I get older, the Lord just kind of brings younger men to you and, and, and they're looking to you for guidance and direction. When I was younger, I, would, I was always sort of, I felt a little ripped off that I didn't have a lot of older men with experience that I could look to for leadership insight in pastoral ministry. I had a lot of professorial types, you know, that could help me thinking through scriptural issues, but I, I, it was hard to find like the Papa bear pastors that I could look to for guidance and direction. So when I'm able to be that to younger guys, I find that quite uh, humbling, but also a thrill. And, you know, I want to continue to be used by the Lord in, in that way. Mm -hmm. If, uh, if he sees fit. Awesome. Well, I know you've taught me over the years the the concept of the open-handed ministry where it's yes, we're serving, but our identity is not found primarily in our in our role as a pastor. It's our role as a follower of Christ. As and, men, uh, I think I'll make a comment there as men, we often put a lot of stock in our our careers and we're very we're very much into um kind of like tangibles, like we want want to show something for, it. we want to feel significant. We want to feel that, you know, we're the man. And I'm not denouncing um, competitiveness. I actually think contrary to what most people would say that 
competitiveness in ministry is a really good thing if it's properly motivated. So it's it's fun to sort of look at what other churches are doing and say, you know what? Yeah, we've been slacking it a little bit. We're going to do better. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. How, how, how is that a bad thing? But it's not a self-serving competitiveness. So I like, I like that part of manhood that we can compete, that we can learn from one another, that we can um, – you know, be playful and verbally spar with one another. And I like the fact that, uh, you know, God has placed a lot of men in leadership and we want results. Like we want to see people save. We want our churches to expand. We, you know, this is all good, but, um, but it can become very bad if it's improperly motivated or it can actually be the, the thing that derails you from ministry because ministry is messy Mm-hmm. there's no way that you can ever get to a point where ministry is just clean and tidy. It's always messy. You're dealing with people and spiritual forces. So you need to somehow learn to be stable in the messiness. It's like a boat on a rocky ocean, right? The, the ocean, you can't fix the ocean, but you can learn to control the boat in such a way that you minimize damage to your people. Mm-hmm. It's like a kid's room with toddlers and there's just toys everywhere. Always. Yeah. <laughs> and there always will be. <laughs> I was telling my wife, I'm like, I think I have a problem because I want the house clean, but with four young kids, it just never, ever happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> Every and then you get day. teenagers and they, wow. It's a whole nother so, chapter. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Had, uh, but we're enjoying the moment we're in. <laughs> you know, have you heard of wall to wall carpet? Yes. Have you ever heard of wall to wall Clothes. <laughs> Is that a problem? It's a teenager's room. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but enjoy the moment you're in, yeah. the season that God's placed you in. Well, thanks, Aaron, for sharing. Thank you for 20 years of ministry here at Harvest. And I know many of our listeners go here or are impacted by the ministry of this church and certainly the ministry of leadership now, this podcast. And so thank you for that. And uh, we just want to thank God for his blessing through that ministry, through us. Uh, using us and in spite of us, as you often mention. Uh, And we just want to remind you, our listener, to make sure to subscribe to this podcast, to rate it, to share it. If you haven't yet downloaded the Fight, Laugh, Feast app where you can find this podcast, that's a great app to download our friends over there. And there's also some other podcasts you might find there uh, that would be a great blessing to you and another way to equip yourself. Also, just remember that we're on CJXC Radio, Canada's Constant Christian Companion, 11 a.m. Tuesdays and rebroadcast 11 p.m. Thursdays. Make sure to subscribe and uh, tune in next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.